Hello, everybody. And, oh, we had a whoop. <laughs> Don't usually get a whoop on the hello. Um, and welcome to event number one of the 2018 Ledbury Poetry Festival. Um, I'd, oh, hooray. I'd like to start by... <laughs> Yay! Yay! I'd like to start by thanking our sponsors, Arts Council England... Okay, I'm Brenda Reed Brown. I'm a Poetry Festival trustee and a poet, and I'm your host for this event, and it's going to be a cracker. The, at the Poetry Festival, we pride ourselves on the support we give to poets at all stages of their careers, and that's something we hope to show you at this event this evening. So uh, a bit later on, we're going to have some young poets who've achieved success in the Foyle Young Poets Awards, after that, we're going to have some more established poets, who most of whom are appearing at other events in the festival. But we're going to start with some young people from the John Macefield High School, which is just down the road here in Ledbury. Woo, woo, woo! Go, John Macefield! Um, I've been working at the school uh, as the poet-in-residence, and I've had about four hours with these young people. So, as you can see, they're right at the start of their writing careers. They started off by writing individual poems on the theme of freedom. Then they got together in groups of three or four and uh, wrote collaborative poems. And as if that wasn't difficult enough, they've um, developed these collaborative poems into group performances. And that's what they're going to be presenting for you this evening. Now, I would like to point out that one group is missing two of its members. So when we come to uh, the group that is that should be um, Alfie, India, Katie, and Josh, it is in fact Alfie and India. <laughs> Without Katie and Josh, and Alfie and India have very bravely decided to go on anyway. So yeah. So there are, each of these, there are going to be 10 poems, but obviously there are quite a lot of young people, so I'm going to bring them up into, on the stage in batches. And our first batch is Chris, Gabby, Lily and Amelia, Faye and Akeel, Natasha, Amelia, Saffron and Sophie. So could you come up on the stage now, please? <laughs> Freedom is like water. It does what it wants and it goes where it wants. Freedom is like a front door, open to some, but not to all. They can keep us cooped up, trapped behind their walls. But when the door begins to open, the dove flies high once more. Anti-discrimination is a disco ball. Feel the party to turn on the smoke machine. Like bright pink neon lipstick demanding to be seen. Ready for mischief and fun. We may wonder why the bell goes. Exploring the world till the final break of dawn. Freedom is a chair. Sit on it and imagine. Freedom is a blank canvas. Paint a brighter future. Freedom is whatever you, 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 you want it to be. My phone that lets me talk to anybody anywhere. The graveyard of people who have gone. Gone, gone. Tesco, where, where you, you meet, meet friends and all familiar, familiar faces. 
Of river that could take you places. A pierce for to take you into new different worlds. A farm where you can wander and see nature. A, a bird, bird that, that spreads, spreads its, its wings, wings to fly. fly. A rambling red rose prickly that needs watering every day. Vines that climb and crawl over walls. A castle, a castle that has, has been, been around, around for years. years. A buffet where you can help yourself to bouncy marshmallows. The tang of cider. Ed Sheeran. Katy Perry. Smooth jazz. My bed. A place where I can dream. A mouse runs away from a cat towards a piece of cheese. Cold breezes blast through the heat and rustle through your hair. A stream flows through the mountains and splashes in the air. A dove amongst, amongst a flock of pigeons dares to be different. The picture in a frame from which you can't escape. A hole you know will never end whilst falling through its grasp. A perpetual window views a clear sky. A tree branch reaches like an outstretched hand. A glass of water, necessary and pure. A fish swims slowly and escapes the shark. A long white skirt dances in the wind. A towering church waiting for the sinned. A single sunflower stands tall in the sun. A rosebush breaks its boundaries of place and expectations. The wind picks up leaves as it flies through the forest. Running, running through, through an, an open, open field, field like, like no, no one else, else is there. there. Endless opportunities flow through an open door. So our next batch is Kelly, Alfie and Lucy, Katie, Dan and Rosie, Alfie and India with no Katie and Josh, and Izzy, Katie and Laurel. So please can you come on the stage? Freedom, freedom to stay, freedom, freedom to go. A black coward seen crying the sun. In, in a sea slashed with storms. <laughs> freedom to speak. A sound of confession for police interview and priest. Freedom to sin. Freedom. To sing. To proclaim justice to the people in the valley. Freedom. Freedom to believe. Feathered wings to an angel's back, golden, shining and whole. Freedom, Freedom. to see. Watch him when their beans climb. Freedom to eat. Freedom to dance. Freedom to love. Freedom to sleep. Sleep. Not breathe. <laughs> <laughs> The haze of sleep gifted to tired eyes and shaken hands. Freedom to sleep without nightmares. An orange life ring and rope. Freedom, Freedom to, to live. live. <laughs> Whoosh, the curtains open. Rays of hope fill the room. Sunrise, the start of a new day. A bird that sings flies high above the mountains. A flag waves in the movement of its bearer. Daffodils, White clouds float above. Daffodils filled with happiness burst into beautiful statues. Smiles soak the June air. Clean, moist air to breathe in. A boat that floats where it pleases. A tree that grows and twists and turns. A train that starts and stops and delivers. A sword that draws. Hands join, slippery with sweat. An injured bird flies once more.
3.15. Free to go, the school gates opening. What a sense of freedom. Like the safety and security of an open door. Take a right. Or a left. No one to no. no. The first day of a, a two-day holiday, choosing, choosing your way home. Navigating the vast fields of sunlight. Or the concrete, concrete maze. maze. Zebra crossings and traffic lights. Until I reach my door. Turning the steel key in the lock. Sea waves of relief washing over me. The bubbling surf of calm. And the, and the smell, smell of, of fresh, fresh lasagna. lasagna. There was a time freedom seemed so simple to stand and feel free. My summer dress, the colour of laughing children. So careless, young and naive. The, the sun beating down like a smile. But now my clothes are grey as clouds rain. Sorrow. It's not an issue for nature or books on a shelf. It makes you wonder why people like you and I are so reluctant to express ourselves. To run from it all like a deer from the wolf. That familiar rush I'd almost forgotten comes back to me at once. My chest is pounding, my legs are weak. And for that very moment, I, I am free. so easy to forget, isn't it, how difficult it is not to giggle when you're 13. Okay, um, our final batch is Morgan, Sophia, Katie and Izzy, Millie, Becca and Stephen, and finally Liv, Archie, Leona and Amelia. Please come up to the stage. <laughs> Just a caged bird without any wings, a puppet held up by society's strings, a suffocating corset of expectations restricting his thoughts and his contemplations. As he stares up at the birds in the blue abyss, he thinks to himself, maybe there's more than this, a place without judgment he can cry, a place where he'd have his wings and he'd fly. As he glances down, his eyes are caught by white. Against the waves, sheep's wool has lost the fight, found freedom from the certainty of fate. Birds fly, sheep die. He wants lightness, not this weight. He steps to the edge, spreads his arms wide. He could open his wings, no need to hide. The sky cradles him and he's falling. 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 And he can hear death calling. 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 The tranquil pain seeps under his skin. He doesn't fear it, he welcomes it in. The beat of his wings echoes the beat of the waves. The sweet relief of death that he craves. swallow soars across the skyline. A tinge of pink ice and smudges the horizon. The sunrise shows hope to everyone across the world. Freedom floats like a birthday balloon. Tiptoes of melodies skip across the warm breeze. A butterfly flourishes as its intricate wings batter gently together. This is why we fight to keep justice and equality. Freedom. Freedom. A blank of hopes and dreams of an ideal world. To keep you warm and safe against dictatorship and slavery. The sad clowns of misery. We fight for peace like a plant fights for sunlight. We march for those who need safety. We lose friends in the name of freedom. A swallow soars across the skyline. This is why we sacrifice for one reason. Freedom! freedom. 
to me, freedom is like having the right to say what you want, do what you want, and to just be who you want. But to me, freedom is a pair of pink night trainers. No one understands why I want them in pink and green. But to me, freedom is a good book that makes me stop thinking about my worries and doubts until it ends. But then I pick up another. But I don't have an idea of freedom. As difficult as it might seem, there'll always be someone there who cheers you up, supports you, and who truly cares about who you really are. Life may be locked by bars. And may be changed by doors. But, but life is what you make it. Thank you very much. Can we have another round of applause for all the brave young poets of John Mason High School? Next, we have uh, three poets who started to make names for themselves through the Foils Young Poets competition. We're going to begin with Ankita Saxena. Ankita Saxena is a British Indian poet and playwright. She read English at Oxford, where she was the head of events for Oxford University Poetry Society and the president of the Turl Street Arts Festival. She is a former Barbican young poet and three-time commended foil young poet. Her work often explores the female body, family and cultural identity. Please welcome Ankita Saxena. Can you all hear me? Good. First of all, you are all so incredible. I think it's so inspiring as a 22-year-old poet to see younger writers be defiant with their voices, and all your poems were incredibly defiant. So I think we should all clap for them once more, just to say how amazing they were. Um, I'm going to read a couple of poems. The first one is about my relationship with my mother tongue, which is Hindi. Um, I think when you speak two languages, it's always quite a complicated relationship you have with your other language, especially when you're growing up. Sometimes you'll want to be more British than Indian. Now I'm at a stage where I'm, I want to be more Indian than British, and it's just always confusing. Hindi is also an interesting language politically, because right now in India, there's a president who's very nationalistic and trying to promote a certain idea of what India should be and I think that's quite problematic so I'm a majority within a minority which also makes it quite interesting. Uh, the poem is called Tongue Chronicles. My mother extends her wings far down my throat. She hunts in hollow darkness, sometimes voiceless, other times making herself heard in a sudden retroflex curl. My mother is more gum than lip. She likes to present herself pure, rarely dallying in other people's mouths. There are enough cavities to explore within my own. My mother hoards secrets in the degrees of her meaning. She'll whisper them one at a time, so as not to clog, so as to allow each stranger to trickle into my gut like an unconscious arousal. My mother is a monster, master of abandonment. She has shared teeth with many others. I forget her in periods of hiding, and in forgetting, I find I am barely able to survive. So bone-fed, so tongue-tied. 
At home, my mother throws off all pretense of politeness. Rude and ruthless, she is selfish, suddenly political. Elsewhere, she is strangely misfit. In moments of silence, I crave her like a smoker. I cannot swallow my mother or my tongue or the truth. It is, after all, only the curvature of mother's tongue that is a certain fact. That is to say, the boomerang bend of the world, which will stretch out as far as it can contain before invariably pulling you back. Thank you. Um, this next poem follows quite nicely after all your poems on freedom. Uh, and it was written after the Windrush scandal where several people were deported. Um, and it also made me think about my status as an immigrant in this country. Um, and it's called Deport. To remove a man from a country is easy. But to remove a country from a man is like trying to de-gut a shark with bare hands. We have swallowed so much, we are bloated. Some years it's crustaceans and other years krill. Crunched between the molars the way our grandfathers taught us. Triple layered teeth so finely arranged as to filter bone from fat shell from nutty meat with a click of the tongue the way our fathers can. We are born fully prepared to defend. Our mothers gave us flesh tougher than their disapproval. Our cartilage is lighter than yours. As flexible as dancers' fingers, we have adapted to sleep in climates no other creatures could endure. Some days and quarters confined to the floor where the sky is too far above to swim to. In those days, more simple fish will do. Cod or haddock battered in oil and salt, tossed like bait. Other days pushed into straits and rivers, lost in boat net, land bound. Soon we'll float, tails twitching home learning that however wide the ocean is, there is never enough space for everyone. Thank you. Um, this final poem is a bit more uplifting. I'm sorry for all the dark themes today. Um, and it's called Kajal. And basically in India and other South Asian countries, we have a custom where when little girls and boys are born, you draw little spots of black with eyeliner pencil on them to try and ward off the evil spirit. And I was always like, what is this evil spirit? What does this mean? Um, so I wrote a poem called Kajal. What are we afraid of when we say she is beautiful? That our tongues will be plagiarized, words turned to cuss, as she crosses us and we catch her smile peeping from a single dimpled cheek. We can't help but remark, she is beautiful. As she drifts into unknown dreams, fingers rolled up, skin the consistency of a smooth sunrise, a waft of grey agarbati, she is beautiful. But in the morning, we are guilty. We have touched too much. And now we know what we know. We are afraid she is beautiful. We know what we know. 
that her lips will grow like the Calcutta skyline, her body a hidden Bengal tiger. We are afraid she is beautiful. They will look now. Eyes the lying moon's wives find hidden in trees through sieves and saris. We know they know she is beautiful. Her smile gains the shyness of the first drops of rain in May. And when she crawls on her face in a puddle, now she knows she is beautiful. So we sharpen our kajal, our sandalwood pencil dip-dyed in ghee. It is time now we realize, because we know they know she is beautiful. Every day before we pray, we draw orbs on her cheeks and chin, small spots we color in, because we know she is beautiful. What are we afraid of when we say she is beautiful? That our tongues will be plagiarized? Words turned to cuss? Soon we are afraid, she will be afraid she is beautiful. So we say now before we pray, she is beautiful. She is beautiful. She is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ankita. Next, we have Charlotte Weston. Charlotte Wesson, sorry. Charlotte Wesson is based in West Yorkshire. Her first pamphlet, I Refuse to Turn Into a Hat Stand, what a great title that is, won the Michael Marks Awards in 2017, following a spoken word album called Body Politic. She's published in Poetry Wales, Staple, Stand, and other publications, and she regularly performs across the North, and she says she will run workshops if the opportunity sounds fun. Okay, so please welcome her up, Charlotte Wesson. Hello everybody, it's fantastic to be here at Ledbury. It's a bit of a dream come true for me. Um, my first poem I'm gonna read is from the, the collection, the pamphlet. Um, it's called The Archivist House, and it, it's about several things about our inability to hold on to our personal past histories and, and how our futures can spiral off into different directions we can't hold on to either. But I think at its heart, it's really inspired by the huge amount of paper I hoard in my house. The Archivist's House. They broke down the door to the Archivist's House, two policemen and a social worker, and found his stacks. Lists ran over window ledges, between the lines of other lists, skirting boards, wanted and unwanted gifts, money spent and regretted. Ductile spooling and spinning of threaded thought, hid sweated ink, pores fogged with it, and the notes fattening, continually multiplying, useful objects found in the street, new foods tasted meticulously catalogued, references numbered, but lists flicker away into women not spoken to, unsuccessful job interviews, each option classified, the next option and the next, on deeper into subcategories, secondary indexes, self spread thin between choices, a lace wing smeared in a folio. 
Film releases missed, unfinished conversation. Pigeonholes spill into white, rustling pages. Unraveled, list tangled together. Thickets of possibles choke up the passageways. Box files split like fruit skins, becoming spongy and bulging. Stacked sheets shunting into wadded heaps, pressed into mulch. Only rat runs between essential rooms now. Thumbs and heels grease soften the paper, moulding the list to a muffled cocoon round the kernel of the man who husked himself. The fusty smell of his paper skins, the slow stifling heat, the weight. This next one I wrote on a residency in Manchester um, at a bank whose, whose name I won't say. They were very generous and lovely to us on our residency. Um, and I, I tried to write a really positive poem about banking and utterly failed. So um, here it is. Interview rooms, loans and mortgages, floor two. I'd like to apply for a loan, please. My first name is, my surname is, my income is... She sits polite as a tea party, calm and smiley. My income is, my current debt is. Their suits have the name of the bank sewn in. She talks to the suit, to his hat, his bowler hat. Are you paid monthly or weekly? Are you paid in lunar months, in ovulation months? We must have all the facts at our disposal, madam, to make the right decision. Rooms like doctor's surgeries, the pot plants, fleshy green, the smell of the carpet. Which debt will you pay off with your debt? Which of the monies you don't have would you like to spend first, penury or poverty? And she ticks box, 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 and never cries or shouts or throws her handbag to the floor, but draws the pen and form towards her with her bright, smart nails and gets to enjoy the impassive rooms, the coffee in disposable cups. She enjoys, it must be, the attention, the care they take with their questions. Your incomes and outgoings, your three-month statements, your statements on race and religion, all of your statements, all of your statements. The pause, the apology, or sometimes there is a transaction, a sort of stock exchange, a game on the bourse. I'm going to read one more really short one to finish off. Um, and this is a one about transition when I was living between countries, but it, it could be any state that you might find yourself in baggage. At work, she forgets to take herself out the bag, sits all day in cellophane, and when she assembles her tongue to explain, she plays back an answer phone message. The postman discovers the body. She'd gummed a stamp to her forehead and tried to post herself home. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
Charlotte, and finally in this section we have Jade Cuttle. Jade Cuttle read literature at Cambridge. She won first place in the BBC Proms Poetry Competition, performing on Radio 3, and has since been commissioned for other BBC podcasts, like celebrating Shakespeare's 400th anniversary through song. She is also a BBC introducing songwriter, and she fuses metaphor and melody in her debut poetic folk album, Leaves and Lovers. And she's going to give us some music, I think, Jade. Aren't you? Yes. So please welcome up Jane. Jade Pavlov. So, hi, my name is Jade Cuttle. Um, this first piece is called Leaves and Lovers. It's the title track from my new uh, debut album of poem songs. Branches stripped back to bare bone This tree's never found so alone as now Even though it's lost its leaves It's haunted by the memory of warmth Who let who go Holding on to hands too tight, the trace of touches left behind is where it all goes wrong. But if I dwell upon the cracks inside my bones, then I'll collapse and I don't want that. Maybe I'm not made of leaves and holding hands is what I need to grow. Lovers never leave our side, their shadow haunts our memory and mind. Day I turn cold. 
cold. I turn cold. Thank you. Um, so I'll just finish on a poem. Um, I write a lot about the links between kind of trees and humans, but also kind of flowers and humans, the links in nature. Um, so this next piece is called Snowdrops. A flower would never rip out its roots and run. I know this only too well. I've been stalked by ice most winters, the sort that claims each crack as its own. Can't even speak for months, only creak and claw at the cold earth. But as the dawn shakes out its dew, and finally I thaw, flicker back to life as its water licks and leaks into light, I at least give it some thought. I pack up my petals and the last of my leaves, bend down to kiss the earth goodbye. I even bow, mistaking the rattle of rain for a round of applause, awarded by the clouds, like confetti. I swear once there was a standing ovation of trees on their tiptoes, straining their sinews just to commend my courage, and yet, Um, and yet, still I share the silent fury of seeds, grappling with the ground that just won't give. I fire out a flower, a flare, a distress signal to the bees, saying, please, dig me out from this dirt. And though I hear the hum of their rescue mission, shivering down my spine, they simply pollinate me with the promise that next time, when I'm sewn back into the soil, next time I will bolt straight out from my bulb. Thank you. So, thank you very much, Jade. And can we have a round of applause for Ankita, Charlotte, and Jay, please? So, now we come to our next section. Um, first, we have Eloise Uniman, who is a young writer based in South Yorkshire who writes poetry and short stories and attends Rotherham Young Writers. She was awarded the Cuckoo Young Writers Award 2017 uh, in last year's Northern Writers Awards. So, please give a big welcome up to Eloise Uniman. Um, I'm really happy to be here and I'm just going to read uh, a few poems. So the first one is called Millennials. Millennials. In 2000, Norton Internet Security discovered a new threat to the nation. Millennials. Millennials are sneaky, unpredictable, and you may have one hidden on your hard drive right now. 
They attract cookies, unwanted downloads and high service charges if they find a way onto your phone. Current trends suggest millennials are often inactive in a system, using up RAM and slowing down processor speeds. If you suspect a millennial attack, it's advised you stop online banking to prevent the drainage of your savings account. Last year, Avast stopped 100,000 attacks by millennials, yet they still plague 7 in 10 computers. The next poem is called Rare Sightings. While the other girls were pretending to be daisies and daffodils, you fancied yourself a ghost orchid. Everything was underground with you, whispered words, tips of icebergs. Stories about the legendary curves of your long white legs got lodged in young heads. By the time you were 16, getting a look at you was like seeing a UFO. You would show up, flash your flesh, and disappear again. Ghost hunters, boys who called themselves men, chased you with the thrill of the hunt on their faces as I stood by, fearing your extinction. The next one's called seasickness. My wife was a blue person, like a cat person, only everything had to be blue. The office was blue, her hair was blue, sorry, sea foam. The salt and pepper shakers were cerulean and navy, like a little nautical couple sitting seasick on the kitchen table. We had cobalt carpets and sky ceilings, sapphire kitchen cabinets and lapis napkins that nobody ever visited to use them. I bought her ornaments from indigo to arctic throughout everything that wasn't denim. Weekly, I painted her nails baby blue, bought her smurf toys, once, I drove to Tesco in the early hours to hunt down a berry blast parade and got up at six the next day to make her blueberry pancakes. For our anniversary, she asked me to paint every room blue, the ceilings too. The empty cans of glacier gave her just enough height and were easy enough to kick. I still get up at six and sit in the bathroom, away from it all, trying to remember what colour the tiles are. Wake. I've never driven over a man before. Watched him bounce off the bonnet, or felt the crunch as wheels rode over bones. I don't know who he was, but speeding off, I think. Perhaps he had a wife, or a husband. I wonder why it matters, because now everything about him is dead. All I saw were papers escaping from a briefcase. I pictured him a banker, heading to his Audi R8 
I might be the bad guy, but still, I wanted to pay my respects. Tell the casket I'm sorry you got in the way. So I attend the funeral on a punishing August afternoon. At the wake, a little girl wipes snot and tears on her sleeve, and I see his face for the first time, painted in clown's makeup, laughing at the camera. I leave before I'm mistaken for an old friend. In the off license, my brain paints clown white onto the stone face cashier. Just to be clear, I haven't actually drove over a man, so. <laughs> and the last one is called A Letter to a Brother I Never Had. And I don't actually have a brother, by the way. Where are you? I called a dozen times and it went through to that obnoxious answer machine of yours. Today we had an argument. And you weren't there, giving your opinion, holding me while I shook. Don't tell me you've gone to stay in Tenerife with Luke. As much as I'd like to say I have a bartender for a brother, I prefer to say I have a brother to begin with. I'm waiting for you to step through the front door, set down your poorly packed hold all, trips mud across the mat from those big black boots and head the fridge. The worst part is, mum isn't worried. Neither is she. I am the only one who will miss you, who misses you. Thank you very much, Eloise. And next we have Zafar Kuniel, who is the Ledbury Poetry Festival Poet in Residence this year. He was born in Birmingham and spent 2014 in Grasmere as the Wordsworth Trust Poet-in-Residence. His work was published also in 2014 by Faber and Faber in Faber New Poets 11, and his new book, which is called Us and also published by Faber, comes out during the festival. So please welcome Zafia Kunyal. <laughs> Thank you. Because um, we, we started off with these great poems from the school children, I thought, oh, I thought I'd read a poem um, about a memory uh, from my, my school. And it was a fight. I'm sure you guys don't fight at school. But uh, this was a, a, a prearranged fight that I didn't really want to be in. Um, and it's called Spark Hill, which is the area of Birmingham that I grew up in. Um, and it starts off in a hill in Spark Hill. So, um, you know how, how it is when, when people arrange fights, like they, like kids are like kind of um, film directors, and they decided that this this fight should be on on a hill because it'd be good if we rolled down the hill. Um, so it starts off on the slope of this hill in Spark Hill. I'm having a fight with the microphone at the moment. Um, yeah, so it it, um, it starts off on the slope of this hill and ends up with me looking at the slope of a key keyboard and uh, writing at the keyboard, which is another kind of uphill struggle. Spark Hill. Fight, 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 fight. They'd begun the chant before we'd started, and started was the word. He's going to start on you over there after school in Spark Hill Park by the slope. 
They talked it up so much it happened. They gave me the word and they gave it to him. Jason Walsh, he's going to start on you. What made them do it? We'd both come first or second in school races, same height, curly hair, mid-brown skin, friends. Let's see them fight. We both went quiet as gravity after morning break and all afternoon and turned up as the other or the future seemed to need on the hill after the last bell. Starting was hard. The first punch was a shove, like shoves were our slow way of talking. Shoving arms became thrown arms. Thrown arms became wrestling arms. And there was love in the grip on the fat lip of the slope. No one else there, not the arguing parents, not the news, not the crowd, only ashamed attempts at anger, or world turned upside down, which was us, with a crowd shouting us to tumble as we fought, like in the films, we did. And when we did, the ground felt harder than any fist on my mouth, as clouds, whose names I'd yet to learn, intermingled with grass, liquidly, like a head in a font, like his head was once, only the liquid was light, the mute grey clouds, or the crowd's word as we turned. Fight. I tasted turf and saw sky. Tongue-tied light came up from the ground's mouth, the way I had shaped songs that morning's assembly. It's false, no energy in it. But where's it from, the Big Bang or before? Whatever it is, I'm not feeling it and don't want to go back up and start again, though that's what I'm hearing we should do. There, at the foot of the hill, I push him weakly away, a shove to say, I don't mean it, leave it. I grip the bag I dropped at the start, a bag with a changed gravity, even the heavy logo, its big letters, H-E-A-D, and head home, head out of the park, down the very long Stratford Road, I didn't have the fight in me, or I didn't think I had, for a very long time, till this afternoon's grey passed the green curtain, and that afternoon's grey rubbed two flints behind my eyes, two flint clouds that ring a bell, dull and bright, and I sit down quite some way from St John's Primary School, Spark Hill Park, and that slope where time felt dense, the opposite of light, and I look past my knuckles at it, it, the black up-tilted keyboard, and on that backlit slope, these central blocks, F, G, H, and I've started to type, fight, 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 fight. Thank you. Um, next, we have Dee Dee Jackson. Dee Dee Jackson teaches at the University of Vermont. Her poems have appeared in the New Yorker, the New England Review, and elsewhere. And I think she's being very modest. Please uh, give her a round of applause to Dee Dee Jackson. Hello. It's so great to be here in Ludbury after a very long journey. <laughs> um, I'm going to read two poems. And can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, the first, there's just maybe a few things you should know. It takes place on a mountain in Vermont. 
um, in the U.S. And I recently moved from the South in Florida up to Vermont. And so I'm, I'm learning the um, flora and fauna differences <laughs> between the South and the North. And so I, I kind of mentioned that in here. So on Hawk Mountain, Vermont, I am parting with the sun that like a Greek oracle descends the temples of mountains before me. Their silhouette darkens to Oxford blue, elides the current of the sky until I no longer see crest or peak. After moving up from the south, how much should I know of coniferous trees or of chickadees who play their winter song of Phoebe, Phoebe, the last note toppling an octave from the first like a softly closing door. The northern sky stands so straight, it uses the largest pines for crutches. They bend under its weight. We have a friend who isn't happy I'm white. With him, though, the road is just sampling the sound of rain. So my husband and I hold hands as often as we can, each finger erupting a new continent. But in the early evening, I worry that if pulled over, when my husband lifts his empty hands, he is lifting only his blackness. At this hour, a chickadee cries in staccato, D, 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 D. I wonder how it knows my name before I look at our marriage in the milky moonlit night. Thank you. And so I also chose a poem. This is to my son on his 19th birthday. Um, directions. It's titled Directions because of the, of the young poets here in the audience. So this is Directions for my son on his 19th birthday. I cup my hands to hold your youth. I try to show you how to do the same. It takes decades of practice to get this right, and by then it's always too late. Yesterday, a man stabbed a homeless man on Church Street. At dinner, we tuck this story between bites of salmon, pieces of song by Fleetwood Mac melting from the speaker. It rained all day today. I told you that I always thought I'd have another baby. In truth, I knew I was only good for one. No matter how hard you press the outer edges of your palms and pinkies together, they will always leak. You should know that you can't hold water in your palm for long. Don't put yourself in a spot where you'll have to carry all you will need. At dusk, we count four rabbits on the back lawn, and I consider if it's a sign only to watch the stalking feral tabby turn them to humble bronze, heavy and frozen and hopefully downwind. At least once a year, you should close your cupped hands like a book. Not to worry, hinged, they will always open again. Thank you.
I'm going to be really fit by the end of this. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dee Dee. Uh, next, we have Maya Chowdhury, um, who is a poet and interactive artist. Her latest poetry pamphlet is called Fossil, and it explores climate change through non-human voices and from a decolonized perspective. Her previous work includes Tales from the Towpath, an immersive work for Manchester Literature Festival, which was shortlisted for the 2014 New Media Writing Prize. Please welcome Maya Chowdhury, who's already here. Butterfly Orchid. I don't remember how I came to be snaring the mossy scales of the golden oak in the Gorson Forest or why I know those names. I remember a dream where I was dust floating in water-saturated air. I don't remember waking up in bright sunshine. I remember stretching and breathing, seeing delicate black flower heads tumbling below me. I remember a sweet, shiny smell and feeling like I had all the time in the world to grow. I don't remember my flower head shrinking, shriveling and falling to the forest floor. I remember summer rain, drenching my black petal faces, so insects came to watch the circus. I don't remember how summer ended. I remember my flower tips drying out to wizened hollow stumps and me shrieking inside, storing energy in my roots retracting to stillness. I remember the echo of a rain quail call back the dawn from darkness. I don't remember when I became deaf. I remember the silent beats of water drops on canopy and all I could hear was chlorophyll. I don't remember this blindness of shimmering hollow blackness. I remember a preethi spider scurrying across its shadow, wearing night into day. I don't remember not feeling my root tips, drinking in water, breathing the scent of a tree. So um, in Fossil, I'm exploring non-human voices like the butterfly orchid, and um, I really love orchids. I think they're an amazing species. I love their tiny, tiny little seeds and how um, they're just um, very diverse in the world. So in writing Fossil, I became very obsessed with different things like orchids. I've got quite a few orchid poems. And then I thought, uh, what other voices in the world do I want to speak? Um, and I was thinking about um, the voice of a glacier and I discovered this glacier called Siachen Glacier, which is the highest glacier in the world. Um, it's on the border in between India and Pakistan, and there's been a war fought over that glacier for the last 30 years, and this poem's about that. Siachen Glacier. You are an abundance of crimson wild roses on rocky outcrops. Two points on a map unjoined by mountain peaks, a disputed line of control that makes fools of territory. You kill one Indian and four Pakistani soldiers every four days, 
with your minus 60 degree nights and avalanche smothering storms. You hold on to two continents, frozen fingers clawing the ridge line between two religions. You have been numb since the little ice age, despite the sun rising in your shadow. You blink at the gathering cumulus, storming towards you, engulfing you with their icy kisses. Your spring melt gushes into the Nuba River. Huge swathes of you shear and tumble into the swelling waters. You are melted and cut with chemicals, poisoning the snow bear, the white-winged river chat. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Uh, next, we have Joel Taylor, who is an award-winning poet and author whose poetry is included in the GCSE English curriculum. So you will come across it if you haven't already. She is the founder and artistic director of Slambassadors, which is the P Poetry Society's National Youth Slam Championships. And she's written three collections of poetry. The most recent is Songs My Enemy Taught Me, which she is touring internationally but now she is here in Ledbury. Big hand for Joel Taylor. Hello, lovelies. You all right? So I'm aware we've only got a short amount of time, but just to fill you in a little bit on what Slam Ambassadors is, it's the National Youth Slams of this country, and it's been um, administered by the Poetry Society for at least 15, 16 years. And it's set up to try and find kids who are like myself growing up, who have a burning passion to create, but come from the ends, come from a kind of environment where there's no access to the arts. So essentially it's a program that's dedicated not just to finding the next generation of spoken word artists, but to breaking their silences. So I'm going to do one poem that I want to dedicate to those, but also all you glorious humans down the front there. You're wicked, mate. Um, at times... <laughs> Life gets very, very, very tough, especially if you're someone who has worked through Slambassadors. That sounds like Slambassadors is a terrible thing. What I mean is all of us in this room will face various hardships and traumas and difficulties. And I just want to remind you through this poem that everything you've ever lost is still in here. Everything you have ever lost is in here how the lines on your face were written how you could not afford your own face how your face was a battlefield deserted a war between parents how your pockets were tunnels and you were lost in them how no one came even though you called all night how your call was the sound of something small Breaking, how your teeth were tower blocks in which only white ghosts lived. How your skin was a lost birth certificate. How your birth certificate was proof of your death. How they stole your smile to store on a high supermarket shelf. How the industry unmade you. 
how your tongue was a conveyor belt and you could not make the words fast enough how your soul was kept well fed in a zoo how the zoo was a library of lost souls how the soul stared on blinking from behind glass enclosures how the glass was etched with the hieroglyphics of rage how you made an origami figure of a small boy staring how some boys cry with their fists how some boys hang themselves from the thin edges of their smiles how they told you that white was the color that contained all others how your skin became a color that contained you how skin becomes insignia how they sold black back to you at inflated prices how rainbows are borders how rainbows are borders how you travel to the other side of the rainbow and met a stranger traveling back the way you had come how the stranger looked like you how you are a stranger how your ancestors will be born after you everything you have ever lost is in here how they spat at you, and the saliva became a sea, and you sailed easily across it to the other side of your heart. How your heart was a tectonic plate, how your heart rubbed, how it drifted apart. How are the people set up home on the opposite side of your heart to you? How they sent smoke signals, how you answered, how your words turned to ash and blew away. How silence was a song your enemy taught you, how your voice was thin ice, you were afraid to walk across how the last bus home took you to another man's city how home keeps moving how your streets were gentrified how they gentrified our stages how we were forced out of our own mouths how your father lives in your face nowhere else how you were raped by a high court judge. How judges' wigs are mushroom clouds floating over the horizon. How your dreams were trained to walk in tight circles. How your dreams were dogs. How your father was a bomb and your mother rich in minerals. How you were dead. How you were dead, son. And death brought you flowers and you said thank you, but you meant how death waited outside all night. How pebbles against windows sound like Aleppo. How your mouth is a tornado that draws the whole town to it. Everything you've ever lost is in here. When you could let love sit beside you on a broken back sofa and change the channels. When maybe only one hand is required, when perhaps if you place your palm prints beside each other, you might find that they make an atlas that could lead you out of here and love could wake you and you could be falling and through falling uncover the archaeology of your wings. When after the grey apocalypse that no one else noticed, you might realise that trees hold hands beneath the earth. How you learn to hold hands beneath the earth. Everything you have ever lost is here. Here is the music of your brother breathing. Here 
is the shape of your mother. Here is the shadow that abandoned you. Here is your unfound song. Here is the legend of your lost tongue. Here are your teeth, your brittle, your bone. Everything you've ever lost, it's here. And it's waiting to come home. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joelle. Um, our penultimate poet is Linda Gregerson. Linda is the author of six collections of poetry, most recently Prodigal, New and Selected Poems, published by Horton Mifflin. Um, she is Distinguished University Professor of English and Creative Writing at the University of Michigan and is also a Chancellor of the Academy of American Poets and we're very lucky to have her here this evening. Welcome, Linda. Um, it's a great honor to be here. I'm so pleased um, to see you all and to hear this marvelous anthology of, of poems and styles and subjects and voices. Quite wonderful. Thank you. Two poems. Salt. Because she had been told time and again not to swing on the neighbor's high hammock. And because she had time and again gone back, lured by the older boys and their dangerous propulsions. Because a child in shock, we didn't know this yet, can seem sullen or intransigent, and because my father hated his life. My sister, with her collarbone broken, was spanked and sent to bed for the night to shiver through the August heat and cry her way through sleep. And where, while she cried, was the life he loved? Gone before she was born, of course. Gone with the river ice, stored in sawdust. Gone with the horses, gone with the dogs. Gone with Arvid Anneker up in the barn. 1918, my father was six. His father thought wily of a boy to the women. Only, like holy without the H, a good Norwegian name. Only had papers to sign, you see. Having served as county JP for years, you would have chosen him too. He was salt of the earth. And Arvid's people needed to cut the body down. So Oli took the boy along, my father that is, and what he hadn't allowed for was how badly Arvid had botched it. Even this last job, the man had no luck. His neck, not having broken, you see, he'd thrashed for a while, and the northeast wall of the barn, the near wall, was everywhere harrows and scythes. It wasn't, I hope you can understand, the blood or the blackening face, as fearful as those were to a boy that 40 years later had drowned our days in whiskey and disgust. It was just that the world had no savor left once life with the old man was gone. It's common as dirt, the story of expulsion. Once, in the father's fair lost field, even the cycles of darkness cohered. Arvid swinging in the granular light. 
only as solid as heartwood and tall. How could a girl on her salt-soaked pillow compete? The banished one in the story measures all that might heal him by all that's been lost. My Sister in the Hammock by Arvid in the Barn. I remember that hammock. A grey and dirty canvas thing, I never could make much of it, but Karen would swing toward the fragrant branches, giddy with love, fleshed with laughter, giddy with the earth's sweet pull. Some children are like that. I have one myself. No wonder we never leave them alone. We, who have no talent for pleasure, no use for the body but after the fact, Um, in in the uh, early part of the Metamorphoses, um, Ovid describes the creation of the world and its decline from golden age to silver to brass and so forth and so on. And um, he informs us um, that when the earth was um, not only beginning to be, uh, at first, of course, things grew of their own will and, and fed all creatures um, and uh, no labor needed to be performed. Uh, then there was agriculture and then there was property rights. And at that point, um, Ovid tells us that the last goddess lingering on the earth, the goddess Astraea, who is the goddess of justice, finally gave up and abandoned us. Sostenuto, night, or what they have of it at altitude like this and filtered air, which was in my lungs just an hour ago, is now in yours. There's only so much air to go around. They're making more people, my father would say, but nobody's making more land. When my daughters were little and played in their bath, they invented a game whose logic largely escaped me, something to do with the disposition of bubbles and plastic ducks, until I asked them what they called it. They were two and four. The game was oil spill. Keeping the ducks alive, I think, was what you were supposed to contrive as long as you could make it last. Up here, in borrowed air, in borrowed bits of heat, in costly cubic feet of steerage, we're a long-held note, as when the choir would seem to be more than human breath could manage. In the Third Age, says the story, they divided up the earth, and that was when the goddess turned away from them. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm just stunned. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, finally, we have Major Jackson. Major Jackson is the Richard A. Dennis Professor of English at the University of Vermont. He serves as the poetry editor of the Harvard Review and is the author of four books of poetry, including Roll Deep. Please give a big library welcome to Major Jackson.
It is truly a, a tremendous pleasure to be here. Um, thank you, students, reminding us what freedom is and to keep fighting for it. Um, and thank you to all the poets, and thank you, Ledbury and hosts. I'm going to read two poems. Um, fortunately, uh, we have teachers, and um, my love for poetry began with teachers. Anyone else? Does some teacher inspire you to love poetry? Show of hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this poem is for a colleague of mine who recently retired, and um, he spent five years in Washington, D.C. as chief of staff of Bernie Sanders, who ran for president. But when Bernie announced that he was running for president, he, he decided to come back to teaching, and to the benefit of our uh, students. Um, when I first met him, he would walk the halls reciting poetry before class, and I said to myself, I want to be him. And um, two, I wish I could have been his, uh, his student. Um, and uh, he was a colleague for 16 years who retired after 45 years of teaching poetry. So this is uh, for my friend Huck Gutman. A professor of poetry retires. What passages he held dear that churned the spittle in the corner of a mouth will remain near. Lines once collected like water from the fonts of Rilke and Ransom, Cavafy, Herbert, and Hayden, the pools of Montali and Whitman, Dickinson, Bishop, and Carson. He heard their music and trained our children to measure the humanity beneath explaining the groundswell of rivers that archipelagos into a large sea. Before classes, through the halls, he engrossed, Huck walked, muttering weighty stanzas, carrying like Dickens' ghosts the rattling message of our past, the recycled news of the present, our fragile future forecasted in the stresses and unstresses farmed in lines of verse. He asks, what do I remember that was shaped as this thing is shaped? Then broadcast a greater love on earth, reshaping generations by having them notice the singular, the little details lost at times on the masters of stem and the prophets of sales. He dared them to look higher in our halls and lecture mills, and even lectured the tenants of lonely offices on Capitol Hill. Once at a board meeting, Huck with Brio, ever the gadfly, recited Larkin's They Fuck You Up, Mom and Dad. For he knows every student of every age deserves their Virgil, as guide knows that not enough music or poetry can calm the quarrel that lives in a human's heart. On Whitman, his hands would heft like fires. One feels the start of his voice crack with song of myself, an admirer of the plain-spoken speech that affirms the soul of I and y'all, not the snobbish rhymes he once argued, of a Robert Lowell. 
So let not his books dust on shelves. Let his voice carry still among tomorrow's flowers, among ourselves, our inscrutable throng, transfixed by our screens. Let him continue to hear the healing fountains, the mental protein, the words that open our feelings. For the age might come when every cell is a cell, and every text marks the limits of our mind, the limits of our will. Let students return to being students and not a clientele with brains and ears. Let us greet Huck at the end of his great career. I travel quite a bit um, in the fall to New York City to teach, and I catch the first flight in the morning and the last flight at night. And often in the morning, um, I want to sleep because it's so early. And uh, occasionally I'll have the neighbor who's a lot perkier, maybe from stronger coffee, and um, who will want to talk. And if, if I feel like talking, I'll say, you know, they'll often ask, what do you do for a living? I'll say, I teach. And then that leads to what do you teach and so forth. Uh, but if I want to go to sleep, all I have to do to that question, what do you do, is say I write poetry. And then all conversation stops, and I can create a pillow and rest my head on the window. Um, but one morning, a gentleman actually, to my answer, I write poetry, said, why? And I was, I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. Uh, I gave him some answer, of course, but when I um, arrived to my office, I jotted down this poem and actually finished quite a bit of it. Why I write poetry. Because my son is as old as the stars. Because I have no blessings. Because I sit alone and welcome morning across the unshaved jaws of my lawn. Because the houses on my street sleep like turtles. Because the proper weight of beauty was her eyes last night beneath my eyes. Because the red goblet from which I drank made even water a Faustian toast. Because radishes should be banned little pellets that they are. <laughs> because someone says it's late and begins to rise from a chair. Because life is ordinary unless you plan and set in motion a war. Because I have not thanked enough. Because my lips moisten whenever I hear Mingus's goodbye pork pie hat. Because I plant winter vegetables in July. Because I could say the morning died like candle wax and no one would question that truth. Because I relish being sent into the coat room in third grade where alone I would turn off the lights and run my hands over my classmates' coats as if playing tag with their bodies. Because once I shoplifted a pair of Hawaiian shorts and was caught at the gallery mall. Because soup reminds me of the warmth of my grandmother and old aunts. Because the long coast of my dreams is filled with saxophones and poems. Because someone somewhere is buying a Rolex or Piaget because I wish I could speak three different languages, but have to settle for the language of business and commerce, 
because I used to wear paisley shirts and herringbone sports jackets because I better get it in my soul. Because my grandfather loved clean syntax, cologne, Stacey Adams shoes, Irish tweed caps, and women, but not necessarily in that order. Because I think the elderly are sexy and the young are naive and brutish. Because a vision of trees only comes to wise women and men who can fix old watches. Because I write with a pen whose supply of ink comes from the sea. Because gardens are fun to visit in the evenings when everyone has put away their coats and swords. Because I still do not eat corporate french fries. Because punctuation is my jury and the moon is my judge. Because my best friend in fourth grade chased city buses from corner to corner. His father could not stop looking up at the sky after his return from the war because parataxis is just another way of making ends meet, because I have been on a steady diet of words since the age of three. Thank you. And that's it. I told you it was going to be a cracker. What a fantastic collection of poetry to start this year's Lebri Poetry Festival. So I'd like to thank all the poets who appeared here tonight, but also the sound technicians and the stewards who've done such a great job. So can we have one last round of applause for everybody? Please? <laughs>